welcome you in the name of Jesus this morning. It's good to feel that this is home. And <clears throat> we know the Lord is here. I don't know if I'll get through this. <laughs> 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 um, <clears throat> we'd like to share with you a little bit about our life story, but before that, I'm going to be a Mr. Rogers and take my jacket off. <laughs> There we go. All right. As we've been listening to uh, This Is Us, the series with the other couples, uh, it's really blessed me. I've, I've realized that um, everybody has come from a different journey. And everybody, whether you're a seasoned Christian, a new, a new Christian, you're starting a journey with the Lord. And uh, that's what makes us, this church, that's what makes up this body, is all our different journeys coming together and sharing one common goal, and that is to serve Christ and to serve Him more abundantly. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, as I was looking back at my own and saying, oh, how was my journey? And I began looking at the, the beginnings of my journey. And uh, we all have different beginnings. And it's those beginnings that enrich our lives. It's the adversity of our journey that strengthens us. And so uh, even though I wouldn't ask for my journey again, I wouldn't trade it either because it, it makes us who we are. <clears throat> to, live, uh, to give you a little context of my beginnings, I'm the fourth child in a family of seven. I had an older brother. He just passed away this past year. I have an older sister another brother, and then myself, then another brother, and then two sisters. <clears throat> and to say that our family home was a dysfunction <laughs> is an understatement. <clears throat> um, my father left us when I was about three years of age. He started his own country music band called Andy Summers and the String Shifters. And uh, <clears throat> it was right about the time Johnny Cash came on the scene. And uh, my father and his, his band would open all the gigs for Johnny Cash in our area. That was his thing. And uh, unfortunately, my father shacked up with one of the band members' sister and uh, moved in with her. And we, I would see him once a week. He would bring home a bag of groceries on Saturday, and that was our groceries for the week. We ate many. Uh, coffee bread. I don't know if you ever know what that is, but we had white bread, and we'd pour coffee over it and put a big spoonful of sugar over it and scrape it around that, and then we'd eat that. That was our food. <clears throat> um, in fact, I sort of thought that my dad followed a song that Johnny Cash wrote, and you may have re remember this. Uh, my dad left home when I was three, didn't leave much for Ma and me, just an old guitar and an empty bottle of booze. <clears throat> I didn't mind that he ran and hid, but the meanest thing that he ever did was before he left, he went and named me <laughs> Sue. <laughs> Sorry, Sue, I was not to offend you. <laughs> but my dad didn't call me Sue, so that, that's a good thing. But he did leave when I was three and started his own little life. Um, <clears throat> so we children, oh, at that same time, my mother had a nervous breakdown, and she never recovered. And she just passed away uh, a couple years ago at 89. 
but she checked out of life. It was too difficult for her, and uh, so we children pretty well grew grew up on our own. Uh, we lived in a little. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, this is not to be offensive to anybody, but we called it the Muckland in Ohio. It was uh, that's where I was from, and uh, we lived at what used to be the wash house where every, the migrant workers would come and they would clean the vegetables and they would wash it in the wash house. Well, they remodeled that and that became our home. And we were there for a number of years. And then my father, after he shacked up with his other gal, moved us to the slums of Canton, Ohio. And uh, that's where my journey sort of began. And it went that way. Uh, until I was about four and a half. Then we had an intervention. My relatives came and rescued us out of that, quote, hole in the, in the, in the ground. <laughs> and, uh, and we went to live with all our relatives. And for the next uh, six years, my uncle and aunt came in and helped raise us. And then after that, my grandparents came and uh, finished it off. So my life began to get stabilized after I was about six years of age. And it was after I had given my heart to the Lord. We used to have revival meetings. I don't know if you remember them or not. Big tent meetings. Uh, and the evangelist would come in and he would share the gospel. And, and it was during one of those just as I am verses, and we sang many of those, that I went forward and gave my heart to the Lord. And my life had never been the same since. Praise God. So our lives went from the slums of Canton, Ohio, till to my relatives, Christian relatives, and then my God-fearing grandparents. And about that time, we became part of the Bible-believing Mennonite community. I'm going to sit. Is that okay? All right. <laughs> okay. So I grew up here. In this, in this area of Greenwood, Delaware. This is my hometown. And um, my, I was born into a Christian family. I was the oldest of four children. My parents are members of the Greenwood Mennonite Church. And um, that's the church that I, I totally grew up in. That's where all my spiritual nurturing came from. I was baptized there. We were married there. And um, that... that that church symbolizes a lot of growth for me, which we'll be sharing with you about later. Um, my father was a farmer, and I loved the farm life. I always thought I'd marry a farmer, but somehow that didn't work <laughs> out. Anyway, <laughs> I guess God had another plan. My parents were faithful in taking us to church. Whenever the doors were open, we had regular family worship at home. That was a real passion that my father had. Both of my parents had a deep desire to be in relationship with Jesus and to be obedient to his word. They were not perfect by any means, but they did the best they knew how. When I was very young, three and four, my mother um, suffered with mental illness and was in and out of hospitals for several years, during which time I was cared for by relatives. Sounds a little familiar here. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how the two of us got together with such a common background. I don't know how that happened, but anyway. It, both of our mothers were in the same hospital even. That not that coincidental? But um, my mother did recover, and she gave the local church much credit for the prayers and support that they gave her over the years. It, she struggled for some years, but she did recover and became um, a very 
how shall I put this? She, she became a very, very productive lady. And she, um, she accomplished a lot. She took care of my, my father later in life when he was a quadriplegic. And so I, I really do credit the local church here for praying for her and supporting her in those years. At a very young age, I began to understand exactly who Jesus was and what he had done for us and how he came and died for us. But it wasn't until I was about 11 that I came under very strong conviction and that I needed to get right with God. I, I, needed to, I wanted to be in relationship with him. And so with my heavy heart, I went to my mother and she prayed with me and led me to, to a, a peace with God. And I will never forget that night. I can still hear her voice reading scripture to me and praying for me. And so from that day on, I had such a deep hunger for God. And I, I wanted to understand the scripture. And last week when Kathleen was talking and she picked up her Bible and pretended to take a bite out of it, that's how I felt. I really identified with that. I, I really um, desired deeply to understand God's word. And it took a lot of years for me to to grow in the Lord and to be able to learn to hear from the Holy Spirit and to gain some freedoms from strongholds in my life. But God took me through a journey. And I can say to, that today I have a whole new understanding of the Word of God than what I did then. And I love it. I just love God's Word. It's, it's my lifeline. Um, I have a very... Well, let me put it like this. There is a lot in our local church leadership that they got wrong, but there was so much that they got right. And that's what we're going to focus on today, the things that they got right that nurtured us as children and teens. And so today, we're going to share with you from the perspective of our childhood and our teen years and how our local churches helped us grow during those years to prepare us for where we are now. Um, before we go into that, though, I want us to think a little bit about what does it mean to grow? What, what, is, what does the word growth really mean? And I looked into that, and really all it means is to increase. And so I... I thought about that, and spiritually, we're talking about our, our spiritual growth here. And the truth is that if you're not growing, you're dying. You know, when there's a, a, a tiny baby that isn't thriving and growing, if, the, if that issue is not addressed, that baby is going to die. And so we are so grateful for how that God tended to us as little children where we were at in the place that he had planted us and ministered to us through our local churches. And we're going to share with you seven areas in our spiritual walk that we um, chose to talk about that we feel like our local churches, both of us, um, really nurtured us and helped us to grow. The verse, Matthew 19, 14. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of heaven. Valuing children was a top priority in the churches that we grew up in. They saw us as little people to be invested in, 
strongly because we were the future church. We were going to be the future godly men and women that were going to take on the mantle. And so um, they took that command of Jesus very seriously about valuing little children. Just adding to that, a lot of the people, the adults here we see today were little children when we first came on the scene. And it's just a blessing to see how they have grown. They've thrived. They didn't die. They grew, and they are part of the leadership now. And it's, it's a blessing, and I'm sure you found that as well. <clears throat> and we, we see that in our own children. As parents, you see your children as they grow. You want to keep nurturing them and keep uh, the, uh, just keep, keep the learning process going. Never stop. And uh, they see by your walk, and they also see by your actions. <clears throat> well, the local church, number one, taught us the Word of God. They were very intentional about teaching us the Word of God, and we didn't have the greatest of preachers, but they always read from the Scripture and explained the Scriptures, and uh, that was amazing. Deuteronomy eleven nineteen says this, you shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And so the church intentionally got us involved in Bible studies. Sunday school, vacation Bible school, uh, Sunday services, we would have a youth service on a Sunday night or something like that, and family worship, the emphasized family worship, uh, <clears throat> vacation Bible school, we learn to memorize scripture and we're given knowledge of sto excuse me, stories from the Bible, and uh, also in Sunday school, on Sunday mornings, now we have children's church, it's all the same thing. Um, <clears throat> We learn to apply God's word in Bible studies, in youth ministries, and sitting under preaching in Sunday services and special meetings such as revival and retreats. And I've personally found it, the Lord gave me a, a gift of just being able to memorize easily. And for those who can't do that, you know, I feel sorry for you, but just keep working at it. Just keep working at it. But it's amazing. All the verses that the Lord had me hide in my heart have come back time after time in the struggle, in the journey, to remind me of who God is and what he has done for me and what he will continue to do for me. It's been amazing, and I would never uh, trade that, even though it was hard. Uh, unfortunately, you know, sometimes in school we become a little lazy, and uh, we would have a memory test on a Friday. I would wait till Thursday to memorize 30 verses and uh, then take the test, and I would always get high grades, but then I forgot it a lot, a lot easier. So I had to remember to keep going over it throughout my life. And we had a, we had a um, motto at home that I still remember. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So if you ever feel like you're in the dark or you don't know where you're going, get in the word. That'll be a light for you to help you get through it. Don't forget that. That was number one. And then number two, the local church taught us to have a heart for missions, evangelism, and church planting. And that came about in so many different ways. We supported missionaries in Haiti and Guatemala growing up. We had them come to our services and share what they were doing. We had people from who they were ministering to in those areas come and share as well. And uh, we prayed for them. We raised money for them in our local uh, 
uh, classes. But Jesus said in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In the summertime, our church would send the youth and a lot of the young marrieds, and we would travel to New York City, believe it or not. And that's back when the, that whole state was a, a mess. Um, oh, it's, it still isn't? <laughs> I'm not going there. I'm just talking about what back when. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, we would travel by bus, get there on a Friday night, move into the YMCA. Everybody have rooms. There was about probably 30 to 35 of, of us uh, guys and girls. And uh, then the next day, we would go out into the Central Park there, and we or Times Square and Central Park. We would go there, and we would work with the homeless. We would take them, get a hot dog. We would uh, talk with them, share the gospel. Uh, later on, we would sing in the park. Uh, but that was a part of our evangelism, and that became real. I mean, it's one thing to think about it and pray about it and talk about it and read about it. It's another thing to go do it. And that's and and you can do that around here, by the way. You don't have to go to New York. You can do it around here. Get involved in people's lives and and uh, bring the gospel to them in some way. It could be a smile. It could be a, a gift, or or it could just be being with them, taking them out to eat or something like that. Those are ways of sharing Christ uh, in, in in evangelism and missions. So. As he mentioned, by example, we, what we saw our churches um, do a lot of outreach, and both of our churches planted other churches. And um, so that, that, to me, was a, a very, that's what you do when you have a church. You, you plant other churches. You don't just get ingrown. You reach out and you plant others. And um, we also sent out missionaries all over the world, and the church supported us then when we were called to, to go on the mission field. And during our growing up years, like he said, they gave us opportunities to reach our community. And here in this community, some of the things that my church did, one of them was hospital visitation, which of course is no longer a thing. But in those days, we could go to the hospital on a Sunday afternoon and visit people, pray with them. We would sing for them. And another thing that we often, we did once a month was um, reach out to those who could not attend church. And a group of youth and a few adults would go to their home, take church to them. We would sing with them, pray with them, read the word, and, and make sure that they felt like they had had church on a Sunday. And um, I, I, would, I just loved doing that. I just loved reaching out to those people. I felt so sorry for them because they couldn't come out and fellowship with others. And so we took the fellowship to them. So that was a really... Um, impactful thing for me as a teenager to be involved in something like that. And as, as a uh, middle school kid, uh, one summer they took a gospel team from, the, from our, our youth group, about eight of us, and with a teacher we drove around and went uh, all around the United States sharing uh, the Christian worldview when it comes to uh, training uh, young people for the Lord. 
And uh, we sang and we shared the gospel. We were in Canada, et cetera, et cetera. And when we came back, when I entered the youth group, uh, usually about 16 years of age, uh, I was in charge of uh, making carloads every Saturday night. And usually we had about seven or eight carloads of kids, maybe uh, five, four or five in a carload, see about 35. And we would go to local hospitals, uh, hospitals and uh, uh, nursing homes and places of assisted living, and we would give programs. And that was another way for the youth to share uh, Christ. As a child, I was completely and totally enamored with missionaries. I read every missionary story I could get my hands on, and I loved when the missionaries came home on furlough and came to our church to talk to us about what they are, what about their work and what they were doing. I drank, I would drink in every word of it. And so, after we were married for two years, God called us to go to the mission field for four years in Canada, and my heart was really ready. Even though I had a six-week-old baby and people told me I was crazy taking her to the bush, I just thought this was just perfectly normal, and it worked out very well. But um, I will always treasure that, um, that experience of reaching out into another culture and um, speaking to the lives of young people that otherwise would have been lost. So I'm very grateful for that experience. Um, also, a memory that I have as a child, our Sunday school um, program had a, had a very strong a missionary emphasis. And every year, they would give us this little missionary bank. It was a tin bank globe sitting on a little pedestal, and it had a slot on the top. And they gave each kid a missionary bank. And throughout the year, we would put change in there. And when it was filled up, then we could turn it in. At, at a, on a certain Sunday that we had a great celebration to bring in all the missionary banks. And um, we often chose a special project to put that money toward, maybe for a, a missionary kid that we knew, from a family that we supported, or whatever the needs were. And that was very exciting for me. It very, really instilled in me a love for the missionaries and the work that they did. And um, it was so exciting to me to be able to support them in that way. We were married in 1977, and from that point on, we moved around quite a bit because we wanted to be available for what God wanted us in as far as evangelism, whatever. Uh, I, we, spent, we were married in Ohio, spent two years there teaching school, moved out here to Delaware. I taught fifth and sixth grade here at the uh, local private school. And then from there, we went to Canada for four years and worked with Cree and Ojibwe Indians. And... Uh, administrated a school program there. I was also uh, taught up there as well. And then from there we went to Florida where her parents were living at the time. We're there six months and then waited on God to uh, show us a way to get to California. There was a man there that was a mentor to us. His name was Dr. Maurice Wagner. And uh, the Lord opened up a way for us through him that we would never have dreamt of. And he wouldn't have either because it cost him his pastor. His pastor passed away. He had a house, had no children, and uh, they asked us to come and stay in that house for a year, rent-free, to take care of it. So that's where we went. And uh, I didn't know, we didn't know where we were going as far as we took this little Celica Toyota, 
73 Celica Toyota, pulled a trailer with it. I don't even know how that ever happened. <laughs> and uh, with uh, Lyndon and Evie, our two oldest, we drove into Santa Margarita, California one night and went to that house. It was all furnished and ready for us. We just moved right in about 9 o'clock at night and went to bed. Everything was fixed. Everything was ready for us. It's amazing how God prepared that. And uh, we were there then for 10 years. And the Lord had us uh, uh, also become interim pastor of a small country church, about 50 homes in that little village. And it's amazing. That was also called the Devil's Triangle. And uh, we didn't know it at the time, but there were dry river creek beds all around that little village. And that's where the Satanists would actually meet and do their sacrifices. And we would find little hearts of birds and animals on our steps of our little chapel uh, on Sunday mornings as they're trying to claim that for their turf. And so during that time, we became very aware of spiritual warfare. And we spent many times on our knees. And we found a, a strong weapon that we'll talk about later to help combat this spiritual warfare. And we'll share that in a, in a little bit. But that was all part of our, our, our journey in missionary work and evangelism. From that, we moved back to Delaware here to take care of Doris's father, who was in a tractor accident. He became a quadriplegic. We felt called to come back and uh, help take care of him. So we did that. And that's why we were back in Delaware about in 96. And uh, we've been here ever since. And God has just walked us through all these different areas. Gives a little idea of our journey and uh, takes us to step number three. The local church helped us grow in loving and serving. And uh, I became a recipient of that. Uh, you know, our family being what it was, uh, you know, being with my, our uncle and aunt and living in a, in a sort of in poverty uh, uh, phase, uh, the church would reach out every Christmas. They would draw names from our family in a hat, and each member of the, of the young adults would uh, take, and maybe they would go one or two, would take each child and give them enough clothes for the year and shoes and uh, whatever we needed to take care of us. They also provided, made sure we had milk, eggs, and bread. That was our, our, our staples. And uh, whenever we get a storm in this area, those are the things that go in our stores, too. <laughs> anyway, so um, Matthew 25, 35 to 40 says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. So sacrificing our time and our talents to meet the needs of others in times of crisis was a given, as we see others did that to us as well. That was a real blessing. In, in this community, um, our, my church was 
I remember watching this as a child and I didn't know what an impact it was making on me, but I watched them very actively um, reach out and help people who were in, in desperate need. I remember my father leaving with a carload of men to go to Indiana, I think it was one time, to help clean up after a tornado. And mm -hmm. we, we did a lot of that. One time, I, a, a group of us from our youth group went over to Baltimore and helped clean up after a, a hurricane, cleaned out two feet of mud out of a little old lady's house. And we worked hard that day. Um, we did a lot of that kind of service. And it was very, very meaningful. And during those times, we had opportunities to reach, to reach people, talk to kids, and, and uh, speak into people's lives. And also, I watched our church fellowship reach out to folks who were sick or were experiencing a death, and they'd get, get busy and do whatever needed to be done. If it was a farmer that, that temporarily could not take care of his farm, they'd step in, go milk his cows, feed his pigs, do his field work, whatever needed to be done. And um, if there was a house fire, I watched them just gather together and do whatever it took. They would have what we called frolics. Not in some places you don't say that, but um, <laughs> they'd get together and literally rebuild the house after a house fire and help replace all the things that that family had lost. So I watched a very, very active church um, serve their community in, in amazing ways. The verse in Acts 20, 35 says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I heard that verse over and over and over again mm -hmm. as a child. And it made a deep impact on me. The fourth point, the local church helped us grow in fellowship. And that included encouraging others, mentoring building lasting relationships, and hospitality. In fact, that was emphasized a lot. And we would meet three services every week, twice on Sunday and on Wednesday night. We would have Bible studies and prayer times and, and just being together. And it's amazing. It's amazing what it does. When you come together, if you're here every Sunday and you're seeing someone else here every Sunday, there's a way of that encourages one another. Uh, it's amazing. If you're missing a Sunday and you miss another Sunday and people don't see you, uh, there's a there's a hole there, and it's a the the body of Christ needs us to be together, worship together. Uh, there's something about corporate worship, corporate sharing of of uh, hearing the same thing, sharing through in song and all that. It's just a way of uh, a building unity and working together as a family. That was amazing as that, uh, as that fellowship was emphasized to us. First Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. That's almost like a command, you know. That's part of our walk. That should be a natural, a given. Then Hebrews 10.25, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. And as, as the end times, we see the end times coming, and we know every day is closer than it was before. Uh, never give up. Don't, in, uh, instead of uh, saying, oh, I don't need it this week, weekend, press in to for more and see what God has for you. 
And so those three services were great. Uh, twice a year, we would meet together for a huge uh, picnic, potluck, and played softball on the games and just shared the whole day together. That was awesome. Um, <clears throat> and then Sunday afternoons, most times, I would go to my friend's house. They would come to my house. Uh, we would alternate, and sometimes a couple would go to one. Hospitality was a huge thing, and it's amazing how that works. And I see today the small groups, that's part of that, part of working together and, and fulfilling the fellowship part of, uh, of the church. Yeah, attending church together as a family at least three times a week and sometimes more, depending what was going on, was very meaningful to me, and I loved it. Now, I know there are a lot of kids who are like, ugh, church again. <laughs> and they say, you know, my mom and dad took me to church every time the doors were open, and, I'll, you know, it just didn't, it didn't feel that good to them. But I loved it. I, to me, I didn't care if the church service was boring. I just loved being there in the presence of the people. I really didn't. I just loved being there in the presence of the people and being in fellowship with them. And, and even as a little girl, I, I felt that safety and that, that, or that safety net with our church fellowship. And so I was okay with that. Um, I, I just grew up loving that and desiring to, to create that kind of an atmosphere in a church, which we later on got to do as, we, as God called us into the ministry in different ways. Um, my parents also were very active in hospitality. They most, almost every Sunday, there were very few Sundays that my mother did not invite a family home from church to spend the afternoon with us in fellowship. We, we, she always had a lovely meal and we fellowshiped together in the afternoons. And we learned to know each other, um, families learned to know each other in very intimate ways because of that. And it, it was, it was a great practice, and I, 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 I feel sad that we don't do that as much as we used to. I keep telling myself, I'm going to get that. I'm going to start doing that again, but it hasn't quite got there yet, but I'll, I'll work on it. Um, uh, one other thing that we did as a church was we had a hospitality plan so that um, uh, people would sign up or be assigned to provide hospitality to any new family that came through the church doors. They always, every new family that came through the church doors on a Sunday morning got invited home to someone's home from, from the church to have lunch with them. And um, that, that was powerful. And, you know, we, we tried that one time in our church. I can't remember where it was, which one it was, but I invited a family home for church, and they said, Why? It was so foreign. No one had ever been that hospitable to them. And so um, we, you know, and I was taken aback because that was just normal for me. But it's, it's kind of a lost art that we might want to consider um, just to do that more, to invite each other into our homes. I know we have our connect groups and we're very busy, but um, I think that we, we would really benefit from being more interactive in that way, to be more hospitable with each other. And the fifth point the local church helped us grow in what we call servant leadership. It gave us opportunities to lead and to observe others leading who were uh, willing to be a servant. They weren't there to get accolades or to uh, lord it over anyone, but they were there to, how can I help you today? How can I serve you? Uh, and when they shared uh, a message, it was to, to help and to uh, bring healing and restore. And it was always for 
uh, not for themselves, but for others. Matthew 20, 26 to 28. Whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Servant leadership was emphasized. It was taught. If you, in fact, it was almost, it was almost uh, uh, out, of, out of whack in, in the sense that if you came and said, I feel called to the ministry, they would, their first inkling would be, you struggle with pride, don't you? If you felt like you were called into something, they, the first thing they were concerned about whether you had pride in your life. Because we know pride is an abomination before the Lord. And so, um, but there are genuine people who have a calling in their life that they will bring to leadership and say, I have this calling, what do I do with it? And, uh, and, and they are truly sincere. And uh, I would rather focus on that with people than to immediately uh, criticize them for having pride in their That's life. That's one of the things they didn't get quite right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so servant leadership was very important. And they, get, they left us experiment with that as we taught classes. On, like on Wednesday night, we had a youth class that we would have a Bible teaching, and then we'd have prayer time. Uh, and they left us alternated as youth to uh, teach, and, uh, and I guess it was a way of checking ourselves. We can't do this on our own. We need the Lord. And uh, that, that became the emphasis. The sixth thing that the church uh, taught us, encouraged us to become, were teachers. And that is emphasized in the uh, Great Commission. We already said um, a lot of that verse. But I want to emphasize one part of it. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then it goes on with the baptizing, etc. Then it says, teaching them to observe all things. Teaching is a huge part of the Great Commission. And so as all of us are teachers in some way, we all teach differently. There's conventional teaching methods. There are teaching methods just through uh, hands-on. That's a great uh, teaching method where someone comes under your, uh, goes into your, moves into your family and watches how you serve Christ just by your lifestyle. That is a teaching method. And so we need to learn to become teachers of the gifts that God has given us in that way and teach others. And um, we had five kids. And so we know each kid had a different teaching uh, or learning uh, style of learning. And some of them will fit right into the conventional method. Some of them didn't. And so we had to, uh, we had to uh, customize our education for each of our kids to whether they were homeschooled or, uh, uh, or um, what do they call it, virtual reality teaching. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and we would have to customize. So every year, that became an object of discussion for us as we... Uh, listened to our children's needs and heard their hearts and figured out how God wanted us to reach their heart through teaching. So teaching is a very important part of the Christian walk. 
one time on a Sunday evening service in, in my home church. Uh, it was a sort of a last minute thing, but I, I, I sometimes have inspirations and I become very <laughs> spontaneous. And I created this wonderful devotional for the church that night. And I went up there and delivered it just like I had thought in my mind. And it just shocked everybody. They were just mesmerized by it so much that they wanted me to come back the next Sunday and teach on a topic of who is my neighbor. Now, that took a lot of thought, a lot of research. And I went there and I flopped completely. I failed that. They never asked me again to go teach on a Sunday night because that was just totally different from what I had done. But teaching is a very important part of the Christian walk. My wife was a great homeschool teacher. I was an educator. We would talk. We would plan things together. We would go to homeschool uh, conventions, and we would pick out how we would teach our kids that year, and she did an excellent job. In fact, uh, Andy went to uh, our uh, local school, and he was so neurotic from that experience, he would chew holes in his shirt. He, would, he wore T-shirts. It would be in his mouth, and he'd be chewing on it the whole time. He couldn't handle that style of learning. So we customized an education program for him, and it's amazing what God has done and used him. And finally, the local church, number seven, taught us to love music. Music became such a way of life for us. It became a way of talking. We would share, and uh, we might do it in word, and we might do it in song. It was all a part of communication. It wasn't, it wasn't a performance. It wasn't this or that. It was something that it was just a part of our walk. And that we appreciated that. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Ephesians 5.19, similar, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And this was such a blessing in our growing up years. The church emphasized that as well. We would meet once a week, and we would have what they called choir practices. And they would incorporate 15-year-olds on up to 50-year-olds who wanted to sing and felt qualified to sing. And that became a part of our communication. We would travel the, the country and Canada to, uh, to country, United States and Canada, to, uh, to share that. And churches were blessed by it, and they would have us come back over and over again. And uh, they really worked on... Uh, our vocal uh, instrument, and perfecting that for the Lord. And it wasn't, and, and, and later on in life, it wasn't a luxury to sing. It was a necessity. In our ministry, that was the only way we found as a family we could uh, stifle the schemes and plans of the enemy. Satan would just try to come at us all kinds of ways, and we found out that we would meet with our children in the morning, have family devotions, and sing, sing together. Uh, that was a very important way for keeping the enemy at bay. And uh, it, invariably, the Lord would give us songs that were just perfect for that, uh, what was to come that day. 
and it was uh, it was awesome. The kids loved it, and we loved it. And we actually made some uh, CD albums as a family, just to cement that in our own hearts. So we were taught to love music, to honor God with it, and to be excellent in it, and to sing with grateful hearts. And we, they started teaching us how to sing when we were just little, very little. And everyone learned to sing, everyone. That didn't mean that you were musical, but they were very intentional about teaching us to sing so that we could participate. And um, some people were very excellent in it and very gifted in it, some were not. But that's okay because the psalmist just said, make a joyful noise. He didn't say make a perfect one. So... We learned to just take it as it came, but it, to not be able to sing was unthinkable because it was such a vital part of our fellowship. And um, we, we took that with us into our adulthood and into our family life. It became such a vital part of our family life to sing together. And like he said, it was, it was an amazing um, spiritual experience for us to keep the enemy at bay and to keep our heads on straight as well. Because when you praise God, then you get a perspective that otherwise you don't have. So we um, found music to be a wonderful tool of evangelism, but also a tool of comfort, to um, comfort our own souls and to comfort others and for celebrating. Um, music is a wonderful, a wonderful tool of celebration as well. And um, God invented that idea. It wasn't ours. And we're very grateful to him for um, providing for us in that way and for nurturing that in our lives. We exercise singing as children in, in programs at church, um, as teenagers in youth choruses, and always together with our congregations. Congregation never got together for anything without having music. That was just a given. And we even did that on our dating night. Yeah, we, did. we would have other couples who would come to try to spy on us, thinking we would be doing you know, inappropriate things. But we were sitting on the couch singing. <laughs> and they were so, they felt so sheepish about that. They actually, they were peering in the window and looking, and then they, they couldn't believe it. So they came around the front door and asked to come in and said, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and so anyway, that, that was a very helpful. And so there's a song that we have been singing since before we were married. That's over 40 years. It'll be 44 years in September. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... We, we carry these things around. This is a pitch pipe. And uh, we're going to sing that one song just real quickly here, just to give you an idea. It's just a part of our communication. So we're not here to perform. We're just here to share something with you. My God can do anything. Anything, yes, anything. My God can do anything, yes, anything. He made the earth with all its fullness, and all the time shall bring. My God can do anything, anything. My God controls the wind and weather. He sends the sunshine and the rain. He holds this universe together. With love he rules 
rules his great domain. He understands each little heartache. He even knows the pain you bear. And he will never get too busy to give an answer to your prayer. My God can do anything. Anything, yes, anything, my God can do anything. Yes, anything, he made the earth with all its fullness. And all that time shall bring, my God can do anything. And that song, that song is still relevant today. We need to hear that. We need to be reminded of that. He can do anything today, tomorrow, whenever. Uh, We'd like to summarize now today. We talked about seven things. And our worship team can come up at this time. Seven things we said. The church helped us to grow in teaching us the word. uh, Giving us a heart for missions. To love and to serve one another and to serve others. To be in fellowship. To exercise servant leadership to teach, and to love music. And that is uh, what we just like to share, uh, give to you today and challenge you with in those areas. And, uh, you know, the amazing thing is God, I mean, you don't have to be a seasoned, uh, you don't have to be a seasoned Christian. You don't have to be an apprentice Christian for three years before you qualify to come to church. You know, a lot of people say, I'm too bad to go to church. No, that doesn't qualify you to come to church if you're good. In fact, we have all been bad before we're ever good because goodness only comes from God through the righteousness of Jesus. And uh, so I was thinking of the parable of the sower, where the sower went out to sow his seed. The Bible doesn't talk about the sower having to be a born-again Christian. Didn't say he had to be educated. Didn't say he had to be an apprenticeship. But he was just a sower. Now, if you're a sower in the word of in the in in the uh, church body, in the kingdom of God, those seeds will produce good fruit. If you're not a Christian sower, you're just sowing seeds in your life, it'll create all kinds of different fruit. So we're encouraging today to talk about those who are in the church who are sowing seed. And you are sowing seed regardless whether you realize it or not, just by your life, just by your actions, by the words that you say. But God is, God is willing to take you whether you're a new Christian an old Christian, wherever, or in between. He will take that. And he says, just be obedient to me. Just be faithful. 
You can be faithful to your family. You can be faithful to your spouse. You can be faithful to the, to the church. But more importantly, be faithful to God. If you're faithful to God and you're obedient to him, you sow seed. Just by being obedient. It may just be greeting someone or giving, making a, or giving a smile or whatever uh, the Lord tells you to do. Giving them a poem, giving them a song, uh, giving them a gift, whatever it is. Taking them to a place, taking them to their doctor's appointment, whatever it is, God will use you to help sow the seed. And he said, that's all you have to do, sow it. He will bring the increase. He will fertilize that soil. You, you have no idea. When I drove bus for DART, excuse me, for the public uh, transportation dart, I would have people on my bus, one-on-one, just us. And I would always say, Lord, how can I best share you today in some way? And uh, they would usually bring up something that we began talking about. And I remember one lady leaving saying, wow, I feel like I've just been through a, a church service or a counseling, a counseling session. And I didn't even think about it. But God was using that, whatever I said, whatever was going on in that person's heart, that soil was ready to hear that. You never know when that's going to happen. So be faithful, be obedient. This church will grow, and they'll help you grow if you're doing that. That's what church growth is, is just being obedient to God and following his direction, and it can be just in the smallest of things. So I just want to encourage you as we sing this next song that if you're been convicted or saying you know i'm i'm not quite following the word of god in my life because it's you know following the word of god saying you're a christian and not following the word of god seems to be um ironic seems to be a paradox and i would say find the word of god to speak to your life and follow that and obey that and you'll be amazed what god will do for you it's amazing. Out of seven of us children, all the boys were ministers of the gospel. And all the girls uh, married into Christian homes. They were faithful. And all the things that my dad did that tried to, quote, follow the ways of the world, uh, my mother's prayers kept us at, kept the enemy at bay, and all of us served God faithfully and are still serving him faithfully today. So I'm just saying, be faithful to God, obey, follow his lead, and, and share with your family, even your children and your spouse. You can be church to them by helping them to grow. And it'd be amazing what God can do. So we want to have the prayer teams, they come up and just want to be a part of uh, just saying, Lord, I want to be used of you. I want to be the sower who sows the good seed and that they would fall on fertile ground and people will be blessed and God's church will grow. Just have that, do that while uh, they sing this next song.